0: Since the early 1970s, I've loved that song. It is well with my soul. But since the 1970s, often it has not been well with my soul. In fact, in the 1970s in the Christian community, it is well with my soul became the number one beloved hymn. In the 60s, it was how great thou art. Uh, In 1957, for six weeks in New York City, Bev Shea sang How Great Thou Art every night. That's why How Great Thou Art became the number one beloved hymn in America. It's on the front page of the New York City papers. After he sang it for three or four weeks in a row, they wrote How Great Thou Art. But I want you to know in my lifetime even though I've had the privilege to preach since I was 19 years old so that's for 40 years I have often found myself not living in the greatness of God and I've found myself often not knowing his peace because I've been angry and I've been aggravated And I've been anxious. And I've been worn out. And I've been worried. And I've been weary. And it's a horrible existence. How about yourselves? Today, whether you've heard me for almost... 20 years. Some of you have almost heard me teach God's Word for 20 years. And I apologize to you because I've really missed it. A week and a half ago when I was at seminary and uh, I'd gone to class with my son Matt at 8 o'clock and then when I checked my phone between classes as we were going to the next class, I received word that they thought that Michelle Hedman was going to die within hours or days. As she lived another week and a half, she died on this past Friday morning. I also received word that the night before, Carol Phil's dad had died unexpectedly. And there were several other Situations that needed immediate attention. So I told Matt, go on to the next class, buddy. I got to go make some calls. And I was setting in what's called the Rotunda there at Southwestern Seminary, a place that you walk from outside into the worship center where from 1973 to 1976 I had walked often for three years as a student there myself. And because it was our first year of marriage, and I've shared often with you, Ronnie and I nearly went through a divorce if we hadn't been committed to Christ because we were so both immature. We love Jesus with all our heart. But I tell you, immaturity will kill a marriage just like it will kill any relationship. And it was years that we lived beneath the poverty line just financially. It was hard years. It was demanding years. I would go to class at seven thirty in the morning, and get home at 10 at night. And uh, it was just hard. And really, those are the years that God broke me and broke Ronnie. But I didn't learn something. I thought I knew it. That's kind of like life is, isn't it? You think you know it, but you don't. And here's what you know that you know. What you know is how you live. It's not what you say. It's how you live. That's what you know. And after I made the calls and after I was sitting there, I was just feeling pressure. And the Lord had me open. I had my Bible. I had a notebook that I take to class. And open your Bible this morning. I want you to open your Bible to two places. We're going to look at two places this morning. First of all, open your Bible, Matthew 11. And then once you get to Matthew 11, that's your first book in your New Testament, then just turn over to Acts chapter 4. And take, most of you have a ribbon in your Bible, or if you don't have a ribbon in your Bible and you have a piece of paper, there are several inserts in your bulletin. You can even take one of those out and just mark it in Acts 4 because we'll be right in the flow. And I don't want us to have to slow down in our study when we turn to Acts 4. You can just flip over there and you'll be there. But the Lord had me turn over to Matthew 11. A verse that I memorized, I believe I was six or seven when I memorized this verse. And see, you can know about the Lord. Remember years ago, some of you do, when I said, we need to learn an A to Z list on who Jesus is. The gospel is four W's and two R's, and several of you have learned who Jesus is. He's the Almighty. He's the Alpha. He's the Bread of Life he's the comforter, he's the door to the Father, he's the deliverer. And you can go from A to Z. That's learning about Jesus, and you need to learn about Jesus. And we would say the second W is you need to learn what he did for us. That's learning about Jesus. You need to know that he was God in flesh and that He lived a perfect life, and He came to teach us how to live servant-hearted instead of selfish-hearted, and He did what religion and good works cannot do. He died, and He rose again, and He spent 40 more days with His disciples. Then He ascended back to the right hand of the Father, and He said, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. That's what He did, and then we go to the third W, what we need to do. By grace through faith, we need to receive and repent, and would you like to do it? That's all learning about Him, But I promise you, if you only learn about Him, you will live most of your life as if you don't know Him. And here I was in less than two months being 60 and preaching the Word for 40 years and yet still acting like I don't know Him. Because when you become anxious and when you get stressed out, it's like you don't know Him. And the Lord took me to this verse that I've been quoting for 50 years better. And in verse 28, he said, come to me. And you know how when you're visiting a place geographically where I had been, Back in 73, 76, and so many times when I would walk across this rotunda, my heart would be overwhelmed with the challenges of life. And I would even be weeping or I would be angry or I'd be anxious. And he said, Philip, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, you think about whenever you say that you came to Jesus. Looking out here, I can remember on a Friday morning when Dan Toppin brought Brad to Bible study, and we went in there. I can remember that, Brad. That was a time and a place. I can remember, Tim Club, the first time you ever came to church, and we gave an invitation, and you came forward to receive. I can remember that, a time and a place. You guys all remember your time and your place if you've been born again. And here's where we've missed it. I have never in my life heard a professor talk about this, a preacher talk about this. Here's where we've missed it. See, we come to Jesus so we can be what? Forgiven of sin. We come to Jesus so we can have eternal life. We come to Jesus so we can be a new creation. We come to Jesus and just put in your line why you came to Jesus. And the Lord says, you come to me. And this is what it means to come to me. Say it with me, three words in verse 29. Take my... Now, some of you have seen this before, and I told the praise team, I know as you saw this laying here, it was laying here before any of them got here this morning. I know what pride will say. Oh, I've seen that before. If your pride said that, that's your pride because I'm going to share something with you this morning I've never shared with you before. See, when Jesus said, take His yoke, what was His yoke? What was His yoke? The Scripture says that He was God And to come to earth, what did he have to do? He had to leave all of the glory of God. And he had to take upon himself an attitude that meant he would be misunderstood nearly all the time. And he had to leave the glory and perfection of heaven and worship by everyone in heaven because he's King of kings and Lord of lords. And be born in a what? An animal stall with manure. Because I grew up on a little dairy farm, I know wherever you have animals in a place a lot of time, you have a lot of manure. We try to make the manger scene look pretty, it was not pretty. Think of the humility of leaving the perfection of glory to being born in an animal stall, a manger. Think about Jesus' growing up from having everything in perfection of heaven. He said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but I do not have the Son of Man, even a place to lay my head. Think of his death. By criminals, He was spit upon and slapped and crowned with thorns and scourged and then stripped naked and put on a cross. Think even about His resurrection. He was God in flesh, and yet He had to humble Himself to be totally dependent upon the Father to raise Him from the dead. And Jesus says, if you're going to come to me, take my yoke. And you know why, folks, that we receive Christ for whatever reasons you receive Christ, and yet you still live just like your pastor so much of his life, weary and wounded from the past. And unable to do what he tells you to do because you've never heard even his first invitation to you take his yoke. For this month, we are going to study the choice. As Kirk said, In January, we studied the choice of being a leader. Then for the last four weeks of January, we studied the choice of being a covenant person, first with God, then with each family member, and then our church family. During February, we're going to study what it means that we finally hear what the Word of God says. And all of you that have been in church all of your life, I want you to examine your faith like you never have. I don't want you to think like a lot of people say, oh, I always grew up in a church family. I always grew up in a Christian family. Let me tell you, if you've never heard the first thing that Jesus said, I want you to examine your faith biblically. 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 And if you're not experiencing what they finally experienced, see, the disciples loved Jesus and followed Jesus, but you can study them through the gospel accounts. They didn't take up their yoke. They didn't have a clue. And that's why even before he went to the cross, they were still arguing in their pride on who was the greatest. See, look at your message notes. First of all, if you just look at the front, some of you haven't been here during January, and I welcome you here today. Buzz Phelan, who designed the front cover of our worship bulletin, he he shared on that first Sunday in January God's inspiration in his life. Our theme this year is choices. And the scripture down there, Joshua 24, 15, is where Josh said to a people that all of their parents had died in the wilderness. That's what's down below there. See, plant life that doesn't have leaf or fruit. And they had died in the wilderness, and he said to them, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How about you? If you don't go God's way, you're going to live and die, wasting your life in wilderness. And it's a choice that you have. And remember, Jesus What he tried to do with his disciples right before he went to the cross is he tried to show them what it was to follow him. And what did he do? He washed their feet. What did he do? He was trying to say, if you're going to follow me, take up your yoke. And your yoke will be my yoke. And what is that yoke? It is the yoke of humility. See, look in your message notes. If you jump down to Roman numeral 1 there, write it in. Now just because you write it in today, it doesn't mean you're making the choice. It just means you have the information there that during February we are going to study this attitude, this privilege, this power that opens the door for us experiencing because now we no longer learn about Jesus, we learn from Jesus See look there at your memory verse, Matthew 11:29, it says, "Take my yoke up on you," and it doesn't say, "Learn about me. it says, "Learn from me." And just write above that, pride cannot learn from Jesus. Just write that down. Pride cannot learn from Jesus. That's why it's possible for all of us to be in church every time the doors are open, go to Bible study every day of the week. And yet, if we have not learned first base, we only keep learning about Jesus and keep doing things for Jesus, but we don't learn from Him. See, write it in, Roman numeral 1a, until we make this choice a priority in our lives. And one, two, three, I'm just giving what the Lord spoke to me there in the rotunda. A week and a half ago, he said, Philip, the reason why often you struggle in your walk, and everyone you know so struggles. Here are the three characteristics he gave me for us that love Jesus and have followed Jesus just like the disciples were following Jesus See, until we make this choice a priority, well, you can't make it a priority till you understand it. And that's what we're going to try to do the next three Sundays and today. Make this choice a priority in our lives. We stay weak, number one, in the challenges of life. And just write in that line underneath, because pride always fails in doing the things of God. And we stay wounded from the hurts of life Because pride can never heal. And we stay worried over the needs of life because pride stays aggravated and anxious and angry. And so, what's the result? We waste our life in wilderness living. Because pride does not, cannot learn from the Lord. Just get that down. Wherever you have this feeling of independence, and no one's going to tell you, that is a wall that's put between you and God, and you will never learn of Him. Well, let's look at what humility is and what humility is not. And I mentioned last Sunday. I'm going to be giving you insights from this little book. It was written in the latter 1800s. I give you the footnote there, Humility, the Journey Toward Holiness, from Andrew Murray. And I've already ordered copies for this for our church staff, our elders, and our worship team. And my prayer is that this will so touch your heart, you'll order a copy. If you want to get a copy for $6, just call Stacy. Because, we've got, because we're ordering a bunch of them, we can get them at $6. At the bookstore, I got it 25% off. As a pastor, it was $7.99. It's a classic. In this little book, And I'm going to go fast for a while, and then we'll camp. Just write in what he says humility is not. Humility, A, is not beating yourself up. B, humility is not running yourself down. C, humility is not shyness. D, humility is not a personality trait. E, humility is not a lack of ability or giftedness. So, what is humility? Roman numeral 3a, humility is a transformed, our biology word is metamorphosis for that word. Humility is a transformed way of thinking and living. And this whole new way of thinking and living understands and intentionally chooses to live. It's not about me anymore. It's all about God. Now, I know we've sung that song for 15 years, and I know we've said it over and over. But you think about, if, unless you have made priority in your life humility, think how often you're upset when life is not about you. When you somehow think that your rights have been stepped on or offended, you're upset, then that means you know about it, but you haven't learned yet from the Lord Jesus that God created us for Him, not for ourselves. CB, in Christ, a humble person walks with absolute conviction, confidence, and courage knowing that he or she is simply an empty vessel totally dependent to be filled with God, to live an obedient and supernatural life to His glory. See, that's what Jesus was speaking of when He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do what? Nothing. But our problem is God has created us all gifted, and we have experience, and we have abilities, and we have talents, and we think we can do some things pretty good. And we don't even realize in all of our best attempts, our pride stands up and says, God, I will not learn anything of you. It's why Jesus warned the disciples. Now, think about it. All they had experienced with him, he warned them, though, in Luke 24, 49, he said, Do not leave the city until you're clothed with power. And by the way, you cannot be clothed with power until you take his yoke upon you. Because if you're clothed with His power, and yet you're still prideful, what will you do? You will boast about His power rather than being grateful and humble about His power. Charles Spurgeon, so wise, see there said, humility is the proper estimate of oneself. And that's a typo there. Change it to 1 Timothy 1 instead of 1 Timothy 2. At the end of Paul's life, see, because he had heard the Lord's call, take his yoke upon him, and that was the yoke of humility. At the end of Paul's life, in all that God had done in him and through him, he still said, I am the worst of sinners. Twice he said it in verse 15, I am the worst of sin. He didn't say God by his grace has saved me and I've really learned. No, the more we understand our partnership and humility, the more desperate we are for God. Don't raise your hands, anyone. How many of you yesterday were on your face before God? If you were not, it's because you haven't heard yet, take my yoke upon you. And you think, well, I'm in church this morning, Pastor. You think I was in Bible study on Friday. You think, take my yoke. Is this utter awakening in your life that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, apart from me, you are nothing. See, look at D. Humility is understanding before you get to heaven. Before you get to heaven, everything is God's. Now, I've been rushing and not reading the Scripture because I'm to get us to Acts 4. But I want you to see a picture of heaven. Put Revelation up there, Sean. See, day and night... They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You cannot see the holiness of God until you take up humility in your life. You will go through your life justifying your sin, compromising your sin, denying your sin, blaming your sin, comparing your sin with others. But in heaven... We'll cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's heaven living Humility allows me truly to live heavenly on earth. See, look at E and circle it. And when I read this statement, reading this little book, this is where God awakened my heart. Oh, I preached for 40 years. Jesus modeled humility. And many times we have quoted Philippians 2, 6 to 8 who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. You've heard that if you've been in West County countless times. But this next statement God used to jar me. In our salvation, Jesus makes us partakers of humility. And after all, remember Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus said, take my yoke, and my yoke is humility. And notice this next statement. His salvation... See, all my life I've heard and all my life I've taught, His salvation is to be our forgiveness of sins. Because 1 John 1, 9 says what? If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And that is true. And we've said His salvation is to be a new creation in life. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And his salvation is to be eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. And on and on and on that salvation is for not just life, but abundant life. John 10:10, 10, 10, that he, the thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and abundant. But if I go back to Jesus, And he says, Come to me, all you that are weary, all of you that are burdened. And the first thing you do, take my yoke. I've never known a Christian that understood that, including this one. Take my humility. Take my humility. See, write it in. His salvation and all those things I said and I've taught, they're perfectly true. His salvation, though, is to be our humility. And all of a sudden, another passage I've taught all my life. And you've heard me. A lot of you teach it. We've taught it when before we take the Lord's Supper. In John's Gospel account, before Jesus went to the cross and his disciples were still arguing over who was going to be the greatest, what did he do? He washed their feet. And what did he say in John 13, 15, 17? If you don't know how to do this, you don't have any part of me. And he said... I have set you an example. What was the example he was setting? He was setting the example of humility. It is often said to me by sweet husbands of sweet wives in this fellowship, Pastor, whether it's the wife or whether it's the husband could you talk to my spouse about this? Or parents about a child or even a teenager about their parents. Pastor, would you talk to my parent or, or my son and daughter about this? Because we can't talk about anything of suggestion or correction that the other person does not become mad Because we've never heard, take my humility. And throughout Proverbs, it warns us that pride gets mad when it's corrected. And I live as your pastor with a wife that's scared to death for me to correct any of you because she's lived with me for almost 38 years of Christians being mad at me because I tried to talk to them about the truth of God's word and they got mad. Take my yoke upon you. If we don't, folks, nothing's going to change in our lives. You may learn more about Jesus, but you'll never learn of Jesus. See, write it in, F. Without this biblical, whatever your understanding of salvation is, I know you're doing the best you can just like I've done the best I can But I'm calling you this month not to miss a Sunday. To meditate upon what God speaks to you by His Spirit during the week. So that a month from now, we will have privileged God to do some things in our life and teach us biblically. And all of a sudden, our life will begin to live in an area in the provision and power of God we've never known. See, without this biblical understanding of salvation, underline it. This is a statement, Andrew Murray. It's a radical statement. There can be no true abiding, as he talks about in John 15, and experiencing God's presence. See that little preposition? Experiencing in. Circle that word in God's presence. And I just camped on that. And the Spirit of God began to work in my heart because I know about the Word of God pretty good. And he said, okay, little boy, now think about, as I read that statement, think about what my will is for you as my child. And I want to say that to each one of you. If you receive Christ in your life, I want you to think about right now what you know in the Word of God, what His will and provision for you is. Let me just give you a quick short list. This is not an exhaustive list, but I'm going to use a passage that we referred to so it will be familiar, at least part of it, the last couple of weeks, Acts 4. But just write it in, the five bullets. Here's God's experience for us if we're in Christ. The peace of God regardless of any problems. Many of you have heard Jennifer Rothschild on a Christmas tea. And what was her thesis for life? It is well with my soul when it's not well with my circumstances. Put in the second bullet, the passion of God, regardless of any pressures. And what is God's passion? He loves people. And the next bullet, the power of God, regardless of any persecution. And the next bullet, the praise of God because of their perspective. And lastly, the priority of prayer because of their posture. Now, if you have your Bibles, I hope you've got them marked. Turn over there to Acts 4. If you don't have your Bibles, just look up at the screen. And I'm going to read this chapter. And you see under each one of those, I have the verses marked out for us, and you will see these characteristics of experiencing God's presence. And I want you to evaluate in your life, even as we're reading, just let the Spirit minister to you, is this my life? Here we go, Acts 4.1, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And remember, they had the power to have these guys crucified just like they did when they put the pressure on the Romans. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. You know why? Because as they watched this event occur, they saw in Peter and John a peace that drew them to say, I want that resurrected Lord as well. Did you know when we say we love Jesus but when great trouble comes in our life and we fall apart, everyone in our network of relationships that doesn't know Jesus, they think, well, I do the same thing. Keep reading, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. And remember when we read this a few weeks ago, Caiaphas was the one that sentenced Jesus. He's got power that intimidates Rome. John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family, and they had Peter and John brought before them and begin to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Remember, this is Peter that denied Jesus three times before that 40-day period when finally it must have sunk through to him, if I'm going to follow this Jesus I love, I got to take up his yoke. I've got to humble myself. And until that happens, Acts 2, the filling of the Holy Spirit, never comes because the Holy Spirit doesn't move where pride is. Pride opposes God. Look at Peter now. Filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, that's Acts 3, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that could have his head right there, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Think about how all of us so struggle in sharing Jesus with others. because pride will always fear out. Here Peter just says, it is what it is, but it wasn't by Peter's pride. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit as a yoked man. He goes on, verse 11, He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. I could have put in there the persevering of faithfulness, no matter what the intimidation. Read on there. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people, look at that. We're praising God for what had happened. Does this sound like what happens in your life when everything is not going as expected or you wanted, that you're into a praise party? For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, that means you are in control. You are Almighty God, and everything out of our control is under your control. So we're going to take our yoke, which is your yoke, upon us. And we're going to trust you, Lord. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You are the creator. You are the redeemer. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate, met together when the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand, even before the foundations of the earth, because you knew we needed a Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word With great boldness, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Three men, just this week, three men that are pursuing God. of women that are in Bible study every week in this church said, Pastor, I just can't pray with my wife. And now I ask the question, do you know why? It's amazing all the things I hear. There's only one reason why we can't pray with anyone. We haven't heard the call of Jesus. Come to me and take my yoke. Because see, in our pride, we've heard each other. In our pride, we've disappointed each other. And remember, pride never can heal because it hangs on to its hurts. It stays wounded, it stays weary. Only a humble person can go to another person and say, I've been wrong, I've been proud. All I saw was your wrongdoing. I didn't see my wrongdoing. Forgive me, honey. And unless the honey is yoked, the honey is saying, I just can't do that. Because see, pride sees the hurt. It doesn't see the need that Jesus said, you've been freely forgiven, so freely forgive Oh, folks, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to us. For so many years, I knew I should forgive, but for deep wounds in my life, they just stayed there. They just hurt. And then finally, the Lord said, your problem's not your offense. Your problem is your pride. Because pride can't even see what God's done for you. I'm telling you, everything in every one of our lives that we know what the Word says, but we can't do it, stop trying harder. I've shared with you how, because my parents didn't teach me about giving. I struggled with that. Many of you, you say you love Jesus, and you struggle, and so the devil ties a rope around your neck called condemnation. And you don't even like to come in this place. You're scared to death. I might even mention it. That's why I try not to very often. But see, just to love Jesus is to be a giver. But I empathize with you if you struggle in giving. I mean, the, till I was 33, I was in seminary all those years, married and little, having little boys. We were beneath the poverty line, and to think about giving first fruits, I never could do the math. And finally, God says it's not about the math. It's about being yoked. It's about surrender. Whatever it is in your life, if you have a secret addiction today and you've tried and tried, but you keep going back to it, hear the Lord's call. If you're weary and burdened, take my yoke. See, salvation is to be a partner of His humility. And if you don't have His humility, you're not going to learn anything from Him. You're just going to keep learning about Him. And I say to you, church family, by the grace of God in my life, however long I have breath, and God's calling my life to minister to you, I've said, Lord, I want you to work in my life so I can teach whoever. And even my presentation of people coming to Christ is going to change because I'm going to do everything by the grace of God to say, when you come to Christ, this is what it means. You are coming to be a partner of humility. And if you're not, you're just going to be another million person that runs around saying, I got saved, but you never live saved. And you don't have the joy of living saved. And you'll just keep confusing the world that's out there. See, let's, let's close. Put an asterisk and circle that next, put a star, just so when you go back to these notes, that conclusion where it writes in, an absence of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure in the Christian walk. When I read that in this little book, I thought, that is so right on. An absence of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure in the Christian walk. Humility alone takes the right attitude before God and write it in and allows Him as God to be all and do all in our lives. And We've had it as a memory verse. We men have said it over and over, but that's why the Scripture says, Philippians 2 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Because, see, being humble is not just about God, it's about with one another. There is something terribly horrible. That so many of us can't pray with each other as family members. There is something horrible that we can't go to one another, humble to humble, and say, I see this area in your life that needs correction. See, always remember G. When you are tempted, when I am tempted, and I want you to know this is constant in our lives because of our sinful nature and because of the schemes of the devil. This is always true. We will constantly be tempted to not choose humility. And this is why. Number one, humility was the only way Jesus could do the will of the Father. I I want you to hear that this morning. Jesus did not do the will of God just because He was the God of man. He, Hebrews says, He was tempted in every way as us, but did not sin. Why? Because He chose humility. And then write it in number two. This is for us. Humility is the only way we can learn from Jesus and find rest for ourselves. Last statement in every temptation of life, there is the lie from the devil because he's the father of all lies. You do not need to be humble. So I lovingly and encouragingly ask you folks, church, family, precious people of God, who are we going to listen to? The Lord take my yoke or the devil. Last Sunday we gave the privilege and the opportunity for our folks after teaching on covenant for four Sundays those who were members to reaffirm their membership and you see an insert like this that has all of those that reaffirmed. And then on the back, we gave the opportunity for those that were not members to commit. We read through our covenant. We read through our values. We stood and recited our vision statement that said we are surrendered. And I had the folks write in, we are humble. and I give you that invitation again today. You see there's an insert on one side. It says covenant membership. And and I want you to hear me, and I hear this, say this humbly. Do not sign this just to sign it. Last year, you remember, we started this for the first time because as elders and myself, we just become burdened and brokenhearted over the attitude of the people of this church, beginning with our leadership. And it is amazing how we had come in 16 years so far to where we knew God had called us when we started. We are surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith. And when we started this church, we were very serious about God. And so we presented last year. We need to come back to where God's called and claimed our lives. But of course, I lovingly invite every one of you, whether you're a new member Or an old one. And there are copies of the covenant and the values out at the Welcome Center if you need to review that before you sign. But we had so many last year to sign this. They didn't live it out at all. Even attempt to live it out. And remember, covenant means... And I understand the covenant of Jesus. We took the Lord's Supper last week. And they would walk through an animal that was split in two. And they would say, in this covenant, I'm so serious about this that let this be done unto me if I'm not loyal to this. This is serious. I want you to see this as serious as when, if you got married... And all of this I just say, one person said, well, pastor, you sure set the bar high. I said, no, you missed the message then. I didn't set any bar. We just read through scriptures in God's Word. The bar will always see high until I'm yoked by taking up His yoke. Because then that opens the door that I can truly be filled with His Holy Spirit, empowered by Him. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm asking you to see His call for you in in your life. And remember in that verse it says, take my yoke because it's easy. It's not hard. Because you yield your life to Him. And if you don't, you'll stay weak. You'll stay wounded. You'll stay worried. And you'll live your precious life in the wilderness.